First book of the Bible in Genesis, it's recorded how it all began. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says this, God created human beings. He created them to be God-like. Reflecting his nature, he created them male and female. And ever since then, there have been arguments about like where your dirty socks are actually supposed to go. Like how to actually replace a roll of toilet paper. Or this is what a clothes hamper is for, honey, do you understand? Or sometimes leave me alone doesn't mean leave me alone at all. It means stay here and talk to me. God created us that way. He created men and women different. It says he created male and female. He created us to be attracted to each other. He created us to need the companionship of the opposite sex. And God created man first. And he gave him some tasks to do. And God was watching, and I can imagine he's like, there's no way this guy can do this on his own. You know, he needs some help. So he created woman. In 1990, at a little school called Marshall University, my girlfriend and I were walking along the river at this park, and I began to get this feeling deep in my stomach, and I thought, gosh, am I getting sick? Did I, is it the spaghetti we have for dinner? I'm, I'm not sure. And then the more I thought about it, I thought, I think I'm in love. And I went home, I remember looking in the mirror going, I'm in love, I'm in love. First time I ever felt that, my roommate was like, no, please no, tell me it's not true. So about a year later, I find myself in a jewelry store looking at rings, and all the money I had to my name was my student loan money, handing all that across to buy a ring and ask this girl who I was crazy in love with to marry me. And I bet in this room, there are many, many stories like that of how you met your spouse, how you got together, how those first feelings were how you were giddy and how you made these huge sacrifices to be together. Well, today starts a new series called Love Affair. And over the next few weeks, you're going to hear about conflict, temptation, adultery, forgiveness, and how marriages can be kept clear of infidelity and how we can keep our marriages and relationships clear of emotional wrecks. Now, If you're single, you're probably thinking, great, how long is he going to be talking about marriage? My mom and dad bug me about it enough, so how long have I got to sit and listen to a series on marriage? If you're single, just hang with me. There's stuff in this for you. There's stuff you can learn. You do want to be married someday, don't you? So maybe you could learn. Even you teenagers, someday you're going to have that feeling I had when we walked along the river, and, and now if you listen over the next few weeks, you'll know what to do when that happens, all right? Maybe some of you are sitting here thinking, oh man, I just got out of a horrible marriage. I don't even want to think about it. I was mistreated. I was lied to. And when I think of marriage, it's painful. Well, there's stuff in this for you too. Because God created man and woman, but he didn't create us perfect. We make mistakes. We goof up. And even if you're the one that goofed up or you're the one that got hurt, don't just say, great, a series on marriage. There's nothing in there for me. Trust me, just hang with me, just listen, and there's going to be a lot that God has to say to you about marriage, about relationships, and about life over the next couple of weeks. Recent stats say that 67% of marriages will end up in a relational wreck. 67%. What if your cell phone didn't work 67% of the time? 
What if 67% of the time you came home, you flipped on the light switch, and nothing came on? That's not too good, is it? You would want to work on it. You would want to do something about it. And some of you came here today standing on the edge of maybe making one of the worst decisions you've ever made in regard to your marriage or your relationship with your spouse. When my wife and I were getting ready to get married, this older Christian lady came up to me and she knew I was planning the wedding and she said, well, she knew my wife was planning the wedding. She knew I was going to be there. And she said, Donnie, at best, marriage is bearable. And I was like, wait, wait, wait a minute. I just gave up all my student loan money for a ring and I've given my heart and jumped in with both feet. And you're telling me that at best, marriage is bearable. I don't like those odds. Obviously, she didn't have a good experience with marriage. God did not intend for marriage to just be bearable. Marriage was God's idea. God thought up everything. God created it all. So when he created man, then he created woman, them living together, them having a relationship together, that was his idea. And listen what Genesis chapter 1 says about everything God created. God looked at everything he had made. It was good. So very good. So in my marriage, every part that's not good is a part where I'm not allowing it to be what God intended for it. He wants your marriage, your relationships with others to be good. I'm going to share with you a few things God intended marriage to be. Sometimes what God intended marriage to be flies in the face of culture, is not popular. It's not popular to say it, but it's what God intended. And if you're a Christ follower, you should be concerned about what God intended for relationships with human beings, what God intended for marriage. God intended for me. Here's what God intended for my marriage, for your marriage, either that you have now or you hope to have in the future. Here's what God intended. God intended for me to be in a covenant, not a contract. See, a lot of people see marriage as a contract. And the difference in a covenant and a contract, a contract says, if you uphold your end of the deal, I'm going to uphold my end of the deal. A contract looks for loopholes. A covenant looks for loyalty. When a person's in a contract, you look for a way out. When you're in a covenant, you look for a way through. So a contract is just a legal document that says, if you do this, then I'll do that. But if you don't do what you're supposed to do, I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do, and I'm free of this contract. That is not what God intended for marriages to be. He intended for them to be a covenant. In the Bible, a covenant was a serious thing. When two people made a covenant with each other, it was a big deal. I mean, they took it seriously. It wasn't just like a legal transaction. It was a covenant with each other. In in Genesis chapter 12, we start hearing about how God began to make his covenant with people. It says in Genesis 12, verse 1, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. God is making some big promises to Abram. 
He hadn't become Abraham yet. God is making some big promises. He's saying, I'm going to bless you. You do what I say, leave your country, follow me, and I'm going to bless you. You're going to not even be able to comprehend the blessing that's going to come into your life. So Abram, being a human, had a legitimate question. Today, we would just say, say what? What'd you say, God? It's amazing. Or Abram has this question. He says, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will take possession of the land? God didn't say, how dare you ask me how? How dare you question me? How dare you ask me for more proof? God doesn't do that with your questions, and he didn't do that with Abram's questions. Listen how God responded to Abram and his questions. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I give this land. See, God did a lot more than just say, I'm going to do it. God went the extra step and said, I'm going to make a covenant with you, a blood covenant. What was a blood covenant? What was something they did? It was a cultural thing in the Old Testament. When two people wanted to make a covenant with each other, there was a process. And it might sound kind of gross, but they would bring some animals and they would rip these animals apart, cut them into pieces, and they would place them like where there was a ditch and they would put them up on each side and the blood from the animals would run down into this ditch. And then the two people who were making the covenant would hold hands and they would walk back and forth in a figure eight through the blood, just back and forth, saying, we are making this covenant. The word literally means we are cutting a covenant together. And when they walked back and forth in that figure eight, it meant this is never going to end. This covenant is not going to stop. And what that meant was they were saying, if I break this covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. So, When Abram said, God, how will I know? How am I going to know that you're going to give me this land? How am I going to know you're going to increase my descendants? God says, bring me some animals for sacrifice. He brought it down on Abram's level and said, let me help you understand that I'm making a covenant with you. So Abram brought these animals. He cut them into pieces, put them just like they would if two people making a covenant. The blood flowed down, and then God passed through alone between the animals between the carcasses. And God walked back and forth through that to say to Abraham, this covenant is never going to end. And God did it alone without Abraham walking through with him to say, it depends totally on me. So this covenant, God was saying, this is my covenant with you. It will not be broken. And that settled it in Abram's mind. No question. God walked through the pieces God cut the covenant with Abraham, and God kept his word. In the New Testament, Jesus said, my blood is going to be poured out as a new covenant. The same thing God did. Jesus Christ was saying, it's not going to depend on you, but I am going to make this covenant with all people. So in the Old Testament, a covenant was a serious thing, and that is the kind of covenant God intends for marriage to be. Not the Hollywood kind, not the kind that's contract that says, as long as you uphold your end of the bargain, I'm going to uphold my end of the bargain. That's not the kind of relationship God wants marriage to be. I mean, Dr. Phil and Oprah can only do so much. I mean, eventually, we have to see that this thing called marriage is a covenant between two people. 
Now, what if that covenant's been broken? What if you're the one that broke it? What if you had no control and somebody else broke the covenant? I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, so just stick with me. When people ask me to perform their wedding ceremony, I always ask for one thing. I say, write your own vows, and I'll do it. And they're like, write our own vows? That's kind of weird. And I ask them, well, I insist that they write their own vows. And every couple, every single one, has reluctantly done it. But afterwards, they say, thank you for getting us to do that because it helped me express my feelings. And I've never seen it done when people didn't shed tears. Because it's not something I wrote and told them to say. It's something they wrote from their heart about the covenant they're making with the other person. A covenant that says, I'm in this thing. I'm in this thing for the long haul. It doesn't matter how big you get, how small you get, how the repositioning of body weight happens. You know, things start to sag, things start to drag, hair starts to fall out. All that doesn't matter. I'm in this thing. It's a covenant. And I'm not going to end it because a covenant lasts forever. In Mark 10, verse 9, it says, What God has joined together, let man not separate. God's intention for marriage is that it is a covenant, not a contract. God also intends for me to be captivated by my spouse. That's what God intends. He intends for you to be captivated by your spouse. I am captivated by my wife. I am more in love with her now than I was when we got married. I think she's better looking now than she was when we got married. I'm sure she thinks I'm better looking now than when we got married. But that kind of relationship can only be found over time when a covenant between two people is kept. Some of you, I've heard you call my wife a saint, and I don't know if that's a compliment or criticism. I think what you're saying is she is a saint for putting up with you. I am. I'm high maintenance, capital H. I understand that. She is a saint. Guys, be captivated by your wife. Look into her eyes. Ask if you can do the dishes. We can work on that one together. Want to wash the dishes. God intends for you to enjoy this covenant of marriage. One of the worst things, guys and ladies, that you can do in your relationship with each other is to compare your spouse to somebody else. Because just like in the rest of life, comparison kills contentment. And if you're always comparing them to somebody else, the way they look, act, talk, how much money, what kind of job, if you're doing that comparison, it will kill the contentment in your marriage. Even if that other person's not real, that's why this epidemic of internet pornography is so damaging to marriages is because it puts your affection somewhere else. It makes you compare your spouse to somebody else, real Or made up. In Proverbs 5, it says this. Enjoy the wife you married as a young man. She's lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose. Don't ever quit taking delight in her body. Never take her love for granted. Why would you allow yourself to be captivated by another man's wife? God meant for your affections to be for your spouse. He intends for you to be captivated. Guys, if your wife is captivated by you, that alone should intrigue you. You know, she chose you and she's been with you and stuck with you and 
And that should captivate you in itself. It does me. Some people are on the verge of breaking a covenant. Breaking the covenant that you made before God, before your friends, and getting ready to make a decision that you're going to live with the regret for the rest of your life. Give your wife, give your husband your affection. Cherish them. Take delight in them. And if you're one of those people that's getting close to making the bad decision and you've allowed someone other than your spouse into your head, then stop. Stop it today. Don't let it go any further. Don't break the covenant. So what if you've messed up? What if the covenant's been broken? What if you're one of those people that are sitting here today going, oh gosh, marriage, I don't even want to think about that. What if you've allowed yourself to be captivated by another person? What if you've allowed somebody else into your head? Or even worse, what if, what if you've already gone there? If you have, you need to know this. It's never okay, never, never dismissible, but humans mess up and blow it. We do. We mess up, we blow it, we don't ask to wash the dishes, we don't put things back, we don't always make the right decisions, and sometimes people go so far to allow what's in their head to come out and become physical actions, and you need to know, even if that has happened to you, that forgiveness can be found. If you could be perfect, if your marriage could be perfect, if you could be a perfect person, then what would you need God for? Why would you be here if you could do it all? And you could be perfect. Romans 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short. We all mess up. None of us are above it. All of us goof up. So no matter how bad you've goofed up, forgiveness can be found. So how do you keep it real? How do you keep the covenant? How do you keep that covenant that's just like the blood covenants that they made in the Old Testament? How do you do it? Well, you make a decision that I'm going to stick with this thing no matter what. I'm not going to find a way out. I'm going to find a way through. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be talking about commitment. I'm going to be talking about temptation. I'm going to be talking about forgiveness, how to work through problems, how to make it work, how to heal things, how to plan for the person maybe you're not even married to yet. So don't miss this. This is serious stuff because the person we choose to spend our life with can either make it great or it can make it a very difficult time for all of us. So think about, if you're single, think about what do I want marriage even look like? So don't miss any of this series where we talk about how to have the most important love affair that you can have, and that is the love affair with your spouse.